Throughout the history of professional wrestling, a chosen few have scaled the peaks of excellence to become legends of sport. Tonight, the greatest of these have converged on Atlanta's Omnigens reunion. And as we honor the legends of the past, new history will be made as the heroes of the present battle for championship gold and personal glory. World Championship Wrestling presents Slamboree 93, a legend. You reunion. are looking live at the Omni in Atlanta as we are having a celebration. It is Slamboree 93, a legend reunion. Welcome to Pay-Per-View Sunday, gang! Acceptable in the 90s presents a look back at one of WCW's more underrated 90s cards, Slamboree 1993, a Legends Reunion. The inaugural year of the WCW Hall of Fame debuts tonight, as many, many faces of yesteryear get their flowers and receive their much-deserved plaudits. We will get to all of that in due time, but first it's time to honour the brewers of today and go to Big Meaty Cool's Craft Beer Review. So today guys, I have got in collaboration between Leeds' DMC Brewery and Dean of the Dead Hot Sauces, Volume 1 of Ales from the Crypt, Ginger and Slice. And I don't see what there isn't to like about this beer, to be honest. This is the finest alcoholic ginger beer with some fresh, sweet, ripe pineapple and the world's hottest pepper, the Carolina Reaper. And even the can art is fantastic, done by the superlatively talented Jason Miller in the style of those old Tales from the Crypt style comics. So, no more fooling around, let's see what this looks like to begin with. Well, it looks like a hazy IPA with the head missing, but basically this is what you would expect from a ginger beer. I've taken it from the fridge as well, so hopefully that will help bring some of those flavours out. So, do please feel free, as usual, to let the BPMs take over your very soul, as I give this a taste. that's refreshing now I'll be very honest with you guys I am not the biggest drinker of ginger beer but I do appreciate it on a hot day and today is a hot day so the pineapple is very subtle but just enough to make this very refreshing and then on the back end you get that hit of the Carolina Reaper chili peppers so I tell you what guys I'm gonna do my very best to maintain my composure during the recording of this podcast. But woo-wee, that is something else, and I will be buying some more of these. So do please support DMC Brewery. As I say, they're based out of Leeds, which is about an hour away from One Man's Meat Towers. This is a cheeky 5.5% as well, so a couple of these on a hot sunny day should go down well. (laughs) 
Ted Turner's cavalcade of wrestling heroes are ready to put on a show. But while we wait for Max Payne to tune up Norma Jean, it's time to quickly head to the newsroom to discuss the happenings on this day in history on May the 23rd, 1993. Character actor James Mulholland died on this day in history of cancer in Biloxi, Mississippi. He was 77 years old. In the pop charts, That's The Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson was at number one in the US, while in the UK, All That She Wants by Ace of Base was still in the top position. Meanwhile, at the box office, Sliver, a 1993 American erotic thriller based on the era-leaving novel of the same name about the mysterious occurrences in a privately owned New York high-rise building starring Sharon Stone, William Baldwin and Tom Berenger opened at the US number one, while in the United Kingdom, Indecent Proposal, starring Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson, started a three-week run at number one. Slamboree 93, a Legends reunion, was the inaugural Slamboree professional wrestling pay-per-view event produced by World Championship Wrestling. It took place on May 23, 1993, at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, drawing 7,008 fans for a live gate of $37,000. WCW had decided to drop the Great American Bash from their lineup for 93 and 94, as Ted Turner wanted to move away from using the word American in the title of a pay-per-view, viewing WCW as a global company. The WWF had also announced that they were adding a June pay-per-view, so WCW decided to create an entirely new event. Slamboree was intended to be a yearly gathering of legends that would include a Hall of Fame ceremony, as well as matches involving wrestlers from the past. Eric Bischoff, putting on his first pay-per-view as WCW Chief, hoped that the inclusion of the stars of yesteryear would draw back the older fans that WCW had lost. For the main world title programme, Davy Boy Smith will face Vig Van Vader for the WCW title at this event. The match didn't have much build other than Davy's hilariously bad promo at Super Brawl and a few segments, as Vader was busy feuding with Cactus Jack. Vader and Cactus had some truly brutal matches, including one where Jack asked Vader to bust him open hard way. It didn't go as smoothly as planned, however, and Cactus ended up with a broken nose and other facial injuries. However, the big moment of the feud came when Vader powerbombed Jack on the concrete floor. The idea was to write Cactus off TV and have him triumphantly return to get revenge. But as we will come to find out, WCW will have other ideas. WCW would loosely tie all of this into the Bulldog feud by having Davy Boy vow to end Vader's reign of destruction and avenge Cactus. Our second world title programme would see Arn Anderson get a long overdue opportunity to become a world champion versus the NWA world heavyweight champion Barry Windham. Windham had made the best of a bad lot by carrying himself well as a heel champion, but in all honesty, this reign was five years too late. However, Barry was doing a decent job of building up a belt that was rapidly losing its luster. In facing a quality hand in Arn Anderson, Barry Windham had a perfect chance to steal the show. 
In other news, Jesse Ventura missed this show due to blood clots. Larry Zabisco would take his place on commentary and does an excellent job. Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura are horrible together in WCW and Jesse is the problem. Tremendous night we will have, capped off by the world heavyweight title. We saw the collision yesterday. Big Van Vader going up against the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Now, this is the big night for Davy Boy Smith. All I can say is, I hope he brought his kryptonite. Fans, we are having a tremendous event. Jesse the Body Ventura is in the hospital. He is not here tonight. He is recuperating. He'll be back with us very soon here at World Championship Wrestling. But let's kick things off. As we told you, standing by is Max Payne, along with Norma Jean. Let's take you to Max Payne right now.
some of the legends that are here tonight. I'll have that opportunity as well. Certainly we have to address Sting. We found out yesterday that Scott Flash Norton, the man that came to WCW and said he wanted respect. Well, he got more than respect. He got the attention of a man they call the prisoner. And tonight, right here on pay-per-view, it will be Sting taking on the prisoner. Obviously, we've, we haven't, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty here. We haven't had a chance to talk to Sting Missy. I know that uh, he's got a lot of things on his mind. Certainly, this uh, changes his plans for the evening. It sure does. I mean, you know, he was going to wrestle someone else, and he had it in his mind. He wanted to wrestle someone else. But, you know, he's got to prepare now for someone we only know as the prisoner. And, of course, we got the World Heavyweight title on the line. We've been talking about it. Big Van Vader, the man who is... Uh, become famous or infamous, if you will, for injuring his opponents. Hey, we got the power back up. <laughs> of course, uh, Cactus Jack, his most recent victim, but there's guys like Joe Thurman, Ron Simmons, the former heavyweight champion of the world, but hey, Davy Boy Smith said this is it, end of the line. Well, that's right, I think Davy Boy Smith, I mean, what I saw last week on WCW, when he picked up Big Van Vader, took him clear across the ring and just threw him down, I think Big Van Vader is going to go for a match tonight that, that might be a turning point. What about uh, the, the cage match? The World Tag Team titles on the line. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Shane Douglas stepping into the ring with Pillman and Austin, the Hollywood Blondes. I know that uh, you've got a lot in common with the Hollywood Blondes. Well, I just think they're just so sexy and just, I think the Hollywood Blondes are just absolutely the best team of the 90s. And I tell you what, if they needed like a, a Hollywood chick to like kind of walk out there and hang out there with it. Easy, Missy, easy. Settle I down, Missy. Okay. Settle down. And of course, we've got the great Legends matches coming up. We know, of course, that uh, it's going to be Dory Funk Jr. representing the NWA, stepping into the ring with the former heavyweight champion of the world from the AWA, Nick Bockwinkle. Tremendous matchup. You've got Legends action. We'll have the interviews, but right now, let's get down to the ring, Larry Zabisco and Tony Schiavone. Four of WCW's hottest young stars collide in tag team action in our opening contest, as two called Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell meet the challenge of Chris Benoit and Bobby Eaton. Scorpio and Bagwell have a decent on-screen dynamic, but they reportedly couldn't stand each other backstage. Scorpio and Benoit start the match and trade some exciting reversals, leapfrogs and drop kicks until Benoit regroups. Chris tries to use a ref distraction for some cheating, but Scorpio and Bagwell clean house. Eaton and Benoit manage to get some control with double teaming, but Bagwell backdrops Eaton to the floor and slingshots Benoit back inside. However, Eaton and Benoit finally get the advantage and throw Bagwell to the floor. They use cheap shots and a flying knee to ground Bagwell, and then Benoit hits a second rope leg drop. The double teaming and cheating continues until Marcus raises his knees when Benoit tries a flying splash. Then Scorpio makes a hot tag, and the match turns into a four-way brawl. 
Scorpio hits a twisting splash, but Eaton breaks up the pin attempt. Benoit and Eaton answer by double-teaming Bagwell, but Eaton accidentally hits Benoit. Scorpio takes advantage by going to the top and hitting a tumbleweed directly onto Benoit's head. So it all started here. This is enough to give Scorpio and Bagwell the three count in 9 minutes and 22 seconds. A very basic, short match, with Bagwell largely playing the punching bag. There were a couple of cool moves from Scorpio, but neither he nor Benoit get to shine very much. The brutal finish was the only interesting part. Scorpio reportedly apologised to Benoit backstage, but Benoit wasn't that upset about it. Tony then talks to Colonel Robert Parker, aka retired wrestler Robert Fuller, the name being a play on Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Tony says that Parker was looking for a new star and found Van Hammer, but he didn't like what he saw. Larry says that Hammer should have taken Parker's advice and calls Hammer rude for attacking Parker. Parker has found someone to mould in his image and threatened to unleash him on Hammer tonight. As match number two sees Van Hammer take on Colonel Robert Parker's mystery opponent. Van Hammer enters the arena without his guitar. Gary Michael Capetta then introduces Colonel Parker to announce Van Hammer's opponent. Parker tells Hammer that he bruised his feelings when he attacked him. He also tells Hammer that he doesn't need a taxi to get home because Parker found his ride. Parker then calls for someone to bring him a gurney before introducing Hammer's opponent. Sid Vicious! Sid enters to an incredible reaction and pyro and screams at the fans while Tony claims that Van Hammer is destroying the gurney. Sid attacks immediately and Hammer throws punches. However, Sid quickly hits a clothesline and a powerbomb to get the win in 35 seconds. This was nothing more than a squash to establish that Sid is back. The crowd reacted amazingly to Sid's return and Sid didn't botch a single thing, so I guess this isn't terrible. It served its purpose, it was quick and we've hopefully got rid of Van Hammer for a while. So WCW, you're three for three. Do not screw Sid up. I am here with two tremendous legends, uh, formerly from Minneapolis, now living in Dallas, Texas, Mr. Red Bass Steen, and of course, Bugsy McGraw. And I want to start off talking to you, uh, Mr. Bass Steen. What, what are your feelings so far about Slamboree 93? Uh, it's wonderful. But when I look at guys like Sid Vicious, it makes me awful happy that I'm not wrestling anymore. These guys are bigger, stronger, and faster. Good time to retire for me. All right, and Bugsy, you're uh, pacing back and forth here. You're a fixture here in WCW for a long, long time. Uh, what do you make of this return of well, Sid Vicious? Uh, really, what I was sitting here, and I could not really believe my man. Sid Vicious, you understand me? I've been around this business a while. I've been in some battles. I spilled some blood. Sid Vicious, you're the biggest, most awesome-looking wrestler I have ever seen. Yes, Eric, I'm going to turn this way and face this camera so we can get it on the air, and I'll look so pretty for you. You understand? Slamboree 93, I'm excited. Of course, I'm here. You should be excited, too. I want to say hi to my mom and my dad, to Jared Gray in Florida, and everybody else around here. It's been nice to see, and Eric, you got on too much makeup, baby. Bye-bye. Bugsy McGrod. Handle it well. You wear it well. I want to say hello to Oliver Bastine up in Kellyer, Minnesota. Take care, Eric. All right. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and let's get back down to the ring. In the first of three Legends matches on the card, we get six-man action as Dick Murdoch, Don Morocco, 
and Jimmy Snooker take on Wahoo McDaniel, Blackjack Mulligan and Jumping Jim Brunzel. Everyone enters to the Slamboree pay-per-view music and gets polite applause from the crowd. Tony and Larry do their best to build some story around this match by bringing up past bad blood between the men, but this match doesn't need any story. Everyone knows why it's happening. Tony also points out that none of these men work for WCW so they can do what they want. Brunzel and Snooker start the match and trade holds until Mulligan enters the match and works on Jimmy's arm. However, he strays too close to the other corner and Murdoch attacks him. Mulligan answers with some hip tosses and an arm drag, which really surprised me, as I wasn't expecting Murdoch to take these kinds of bumps. Murdoch stumbles into the wrong corner and then regroups outside, but Wahoo chases him back into the ring. Morocco and Wahoo then face off, and Wahoo hits chops and slams, but he gets caught in the heel corner. They use referee distractions and triple teaming until Wahoo finally tags Brunzel. He shows off with some lovely drop kicks, so Murdoch hits a head scissors takeover. Jim finds himself the victim of more triple teaming, but he hits some surprising crossbodies and roll ups before Snooker accidentally hits Morocco on a miscommunication. They argue, so the match turns into a six way brawl, and the referee has no choice but to call for the bell in nine minutes and six seconds and declaring a no contest, which the fans do not like. However, the wrestlers keep brawling around the referee. This was way better than I expected it to be. We found a good mix of personalities and guys willing to take bumps for their age, and they kept it really entertaining. You could tell that these guys wanted to jump at the opportunity to show that they still had it. Their enthusiasm was refreshing, and I enjoyed this for what it was, and to be honest, I'm okay with the finish. I understand that most of these guys probably didn't want to job, but the image of the chaos erupting around poor Randy Anderson was pretty amusing to make up for it. And I'm here with the assassin and Mad Dog Vashon. And I just have to say, I've never had a chance to interview two men quite like this, but I have heard stories. I became, I became a wrestling legend for all my friends in Canada and the millions of Mad Dog fans around the world. So, Mr. Assassin, how do you feel about the... I'm not done talking. You know what? I just seen this six-guy wrestle in a tag team match. I have only one regret, that I'm not daring to ring myself to wrestle because I would teach some of these guys what it's really like to wrestle. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Um, so, Mr. Assassin, how do you feel about the action so far? A tremendous action. There's one thing on my mind that I want to clarify. I've been asked many times about the remarks that I made in the past few weeks about Dusty Rhodes. You know, it's no secret to anyone that there's been bad blood between Rhodes and myself for a long time. We've had a lot of battles, and I don't feel that anything has ever been settled. So, Rhodes, I'm making an open challenge to you. Anytime, any place, let's settle it once and for all. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Now let's go down to Gary Michael Capetta. In our second Legends match, Thunderbolt Patterson and a mystery partner face Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Raschke. Bullet Bob Armstrong was supposed to be Patterson's partner, but he had to have knee surgery and was pulled from the card. Patterson comes to the ring by himself to a great reaction and grabs a mic. He says that Bob had a bad operation on his knee so he can't wrestle. Ivan responds that the Armstrong family are all cowards, so Brad Armstrong arrives to defend his family's honour. 
He's wearing street clothes, but he says that he will be Patterson's partner. Thunderbolt tells him to take off his shirt and they'll kick some butt. The match immediately becomes a four-way brawl and Brad backdrops and drop kicks Ivan. They end up sending Kurloff and Rashke to the outside, so Baron throws around some chairs. Then Patterson and Rashke face off, but Thunderbolt messes with his mind by doing some strange mannerisms. Baron has enough and tags Ivan and he faces Brad, but Armstrong finds himself in trouble. Ivan and the Baron double-team him and Rashke locks him in a dreaded iron claw, but Patterson breaks the hold. Thunderbolt then tags in and the match becomes a brawl again. Patterson nails both opponents with punches and headbutts before giving Rashke a double throat chop for the win in 4 minutes and 39 seconds. I think I've described this match to be more than it actually is, but this was sloppy and not very good at all. None of these guys, with the exception of Armstrong, were able to bump a lot like the men in the last match, so they were limited in what they could do. Patterson was entertaining enough, but it wasn't enough to save this, and he wasn't the greatest wrestler to begin with, so this match was at least kept short. It's probably for the best that Brad was in it, because it would have been a lot worse without him, and at least we had one person who could take more than one bump in the match. But where's the light heavyweight title when you need it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special live edition of A Flare for the Gold with your host, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Also featuring Fifi the May. Tonight, the original four horsemen will be reunited. And now, here he is, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. All right. Right here we are, and as promised, it's Flamory 93, it's Legend Reunion, and we are live in Atlanta, GA. Y'all like that? Well, tonight is a night you will never forget. It is the reunification of the legendary Four Horsemen. Yeah. With that comes a lot of good news, but a little bad news. But before I get into that, let me do one thing that every man in the audience and every man worldwide waits for each week, and that is take that deep breath, boys, because Fifi's gonna walk that aisle one time. Come on, Fifi. Hi, John. Library 93, and as promised, the return of the four horsemen. So, without further ado, let me bring out the man who will soon be the next NWA World Heavyweight Champion, my best friend, the Enforcer Double A. Double A, you are styling and profiling tonight. Something going on, brother? Well, Rick, as you know, Barry Wyndham has been snubbing you. He's been snubbing the horsemen. He's been, even been snubbing this show. But Barry Wyndham, in a short while, 
and I mean in a short while, you're not going to be able to snub me. This is my shot, my one shot, and rest assured as you look in these eyes, I'm going to make it good. I guess what he's saying there is, after tonight, BW, you and these girls over here be calling Double A the champ, brother. That's the way it is. Now, Double A, you know, <laughs> I told you there was a little bad news tonight. The bottom line is, Barry Wyndham has pulled something cute on me. Blanchard's not going to show up. So you know what? Don't get down. Don't get down because the show only gets bigger and better. Double A, you go back here with the girls. But brother, you can't have a drink till after the match. You just talk to him, okay, buddy? You girls keep Double A dry, okay? Now, the next horseman is a man who genuinely is a legend in his own time. Our mentor, my cousin, the legend, Ole Anderson. All right, hey, hey. in a tuxedo and all. Brother, you know, what's hey. the occasion, Ole? I tell you what, I'm all dressed up for a party with you. I gotta be dressed. But I didn't I tell you before? I said you can't trust Wyndham. And Wyndham got to that other kid, Tully. And I tell you what, it makes me hot. I've said it time and again. You gotta watch him. You can't trust him. Well, only listen to me say this to you. Take a look around behind you one time, Rock. It's penthouse paradise. Hey. It's a flare for the gold. You forget about Tully. Forget about Ray Wyndham. Have a seat right there, brother. Get your feet wet, because the party's going to keep right on rocking. Now. Let you go. I'm going to okay. sit over here for a second. Hey, right there, girls. Here is the special edition. My special guest tonight and the newest member of the Four Horsemen is legitimately one of those kid-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying son-of-a-gun that girls has kissed y'all and made you cry. I'm talking about none other than styling and profiling pretty Paul Roma. Come on out here, Paul. Hey, does he not fit the demographic? Keep screaming, girls. Don't be ashamed of it. Paul, welcome, brother, to the Horseman. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You know, I don't think these people really realize the thousands of wrestlers you had to choose from, and you chose me to be a part of the most supreme elite group in professional wrestling today. The symbol that stands for, and always will be, excellence. Hey, it's the Four Horsemen, Paul. We got Fifi on our left, and we got the girls over here on our right. But before we get the party going, let me lay one thing down. Pillman, Austin, you want the nature boy, you got him. Because the tights are coming back out. And as, as the sun sets in the west, we're going to rock and roll because the horsemen, whoo, are reunited again. All right. Now, hey, now, guys, hey, double A, you got to understand, the party's over here. Hello, girls. It's out, huh? The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, in a flair for the gold. And Larry, we are joined, and it, it's our honor to have the greatest U.S. heavyweight champion of all time, Johnny Valentine, with us. And Johnny, welcome to Rinkside. Having a great time this weekend. It's great to be here. I've never seen so much talent in one building, especially the old timers. And uh, 
we're going to see a couple old-timers wrestle, I understand. Absolutely. I've already seen a few. But <laughs> That's right. We <laughs> are getting ready to see Nick Bockwinkel go up one-on-one -on -one against Dory Funk Jr. It's kind of the AWA versus the NWA. We're going to have that matchup, but before we do, and Johnny's going to be at ringside with us with the commentary, before we do, fans, the next big pay-per-view coming up with WCW is going to be Beach Blast. World Championship Wrestling presents Beach Blast at Beach Blast 93. What a time we had last year. This time it comes up Sunday, July 18th, only on pay-per-view. Right. I'm going to pause here because it's time for Big Meaty Cool's weak take of the episode. I enjoy Paul Romer as a horseman. Honestly, he's far from the best horseman, but he's far from the worst as well. He was a solid worker, looks gorgeous, and formed an amazing tag team with Arn Anderson. But, playing devil's advocate, WCW promised a reunion of the original horsemen for Slamboree. However, World Championship Wrestling only offered Blanchard a $500 per appearance contract to reform the horsemen at Slamboree. And Blanchard, quite rightly, didn't accept this offer, considering it to be too low. And this is why he's replaced with Paul Roma. This leaves Roma with an insurmountable mountain to climb and a lot to prove. Fans would not get behind Roma as a horseman at all. And who could blame them if they were expecting Blanchard? Romer had been booked as a joke figure in his WWF run prior to coming to WCW. And if time had been kinder, a run of victories over a few months before being offered the chance to join the Horsemen may have elevated him in the fans' eyes. The third of our Legends matches is billed as an NWA versus AWA matchup as Dory Funk Jr. takes on Nick Bockwinkle. Tony and Larry talk about how these two men wanted to face each other in their prime, but wrestling politics prevented it. Gene Kaniski accompanies Dory and Nick is with Vern Gagne. The two men lock up to a stalemate a few times before Dory starts hitting some stiff forearms. The two of them trade mat holds and more hard forearms in the corner before Botwinkle hits a couple of slams. Funkery groups outside and then returns with more stiff strikes and wears Nick down with a chin lock. He fights out and regroups before returning to attempt a Boston Crab. Funk reverses it and also reverses a headlock with a back suplex before working Nick's arm. They end up fighting in the corner and Funk sends Nick to the ramp with an uppercut. Then he suplexes him back inside and hits a nasty looking pile driver. Funk tries to follow it up with a butterfly suplex but Bockwinkle turns it into a backslide. Capetta then announces that there's a minute left in the match so Funk does a spinning toe hold. Bockwinkle manages to reverse it into a really sloppy looking figure four, so the managers get involved. The ref allows the match to continue, but there are mere seconds left. They quickly trade pin attempts, but the 15 minute time limit expires. Now this was a solid match, but it was a little bit slow for the crowd, and these two really lost the fans, which made it hard to get into the bout at home. However, the fans did show respect for the two legends going into this match and going to the time limit. I personally thought that this match had some really good stuff in it, but I'm a little bit more patient with technical wrestling. I especially liked the forearm shots, and there's something impressive about two older wrestlers still willing to take these hard strikes. It wasn't a thrilling match, but it was something that I can respect.
All right, thanks a lot, Tony. And boy, when you talk about legends, you've got to be talking about my next guest. First of all, Mr. Luthez, it's an honor to be here and shake your hand because you are a man that is indeed a, a legend that stands alone. We're talking about a man that won his first world heavyweight title back in 1937 in St. Louis, and it's an honor to have you here. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Had some wonderful matches tonight in this Lamborghini. Looks like a fantastic success. I congratulate everyone for participating in it. Happy to be here. Thank you. You know, a lot of controversy in the match. We just saw Bob Geigel, of course, former Central States champion, uh, president of the NWA. You know, everybody was talking last night about the AWA, the NWA matchup. I know you guys are two uh, diehard NWA fans, but uh, what are your thoughts on this last match? I thought it was a fabulous match with two great athletes. I watched them uh, when they were wrestling active, and uh, they, you could see it coming back. You can see it coming back and uh, talk about going back. Let's get back to the ring. Tony Giovanni and Larry Zabisco. Our next tag match combines our US and TV title feuds into one, apparently, as WCW United States Heavyweight Champion Rick Rude teams with WCW World Television Champion Paul Orndorff to face former United States Champion Dustin Rhodes and apparent television champion hopeful Kensuke Sasaki. Rude and Sasaki start the match and Rick mocks Kensuke for his luck. They shove each other and Sasuke takes the advantage. Rude tries some forearms but Sasuke goes after his arm. Orndorff then enters the match but he gets the same treatment from both Sasaki and Dustin. They take turns attacking Orndorff but he manages to make the tag. Dustin and Rick brawl and Rhodes backdrops Rude. But Rick surprises him with a knee. However, Rhodes returns the favour until he flies over the ropes on a missed lariat. Then Rude and Orndorff attack Dustin on the floor and double-team him in their corner. They wear Rhodes down with holds while the fans chant Paula at Orndorff. Dustin finally fights back and reverses two types of pile drivers from Rude before hitting Rick with a tombstone. He finally makes a tag and Sasuke hits Rude with an elbow, crossbody and an atomic drop. He also hits multiple clotheslines and a press slam before heading to the top, but Orndorff pushes him into the ring. Rude capitalises by hitting the Rude Awakening and getting the pin in 9 minutes and 25 seconds, but as you'll see, Sasuke's shoulders clearly come off the mat. So this was a solid enough match and there was some good action, but I think I expected more given the participants. Don't get me wrong, we have to consider injuries, so it was probably about as good as can be expected, but I can imagine that singles bouts would have been better if all the men were healthy. I can't complain about what we got, was decent enough for the circumstances. Well, thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. Ladies and gentlemen, let me add my personal welcome to all of you attending this most auspicious occasion this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. May I proceed, please? As you know, of course, we are going to be tonight inducting four members to the World Championship Wrestling Hall of Fame. I have been chosen for this honor, and I am honored, believe me, to be the inductee. But before we begin the induction ceremony, let me just say that there are many great living legends 
that will not be with us tonight. Unfortunately, they have passed on. Buddy Rogers, Andre the Giant, Pat O'Connor, Gene Anderson, Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, and one more that we'll tell you about a little bit later on. But I'd like, if you would, let's observe a moment of silence for these departed great athletes. Thank you very much. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the very first inductee into the WCW Hall of Fame, and we cross all organizations, the Hall of Fame will be here in the CNN complex, but the very first man to be inducted let me introduce the incomparable Lou Fez. Watch your monitors, watch your widescreens around. Lou Fez dominated the wrestling world. He had a championship reign of 29 years. He first won the NWA title in 1937. He held the title at one point in his career for eight straight years. He finally lost it to Whipper Billy Watson. He regained the, same the title the same year to hold it for a fifth time. And in 1963, Fez became the first man in history to win the title for the sixth time by defeating Buddy Rogers in Toronto. I might just say once again, this man's championship career Spanned 29 years, and just two years ago, he was wrestling in Japan. It's a real honor and a pleasure to, to induct Lou Fez to the Hall of Fame. Our second inductee, many times the AWA heavyweight champion, Fern Ganya. Vern Gagne, who today is very active with the U.S. Amateur Athletic Association. He's already in the Collegiate Hall of Fame. He's in the Helms Foundation Hall of Fame, a Minnesota native. He attended the University of Minnesota. That career was interrupted by service in the Marine Corps. He played football for the University of Minnesota. He won the Big Ten Championship in wrestling four times, NCAA champion in 1948 and 49. Also, a member of the U.S. Olympics in 1948. He turned professional in 1950, was the 1950 junior heavyweight champion. U.S. heavyweight championship in 53 through 56. And then in 1959, he won the AWA World Championship. He and I dispute how many times he held it. He says nine, I say my record show 14. Congratulations, Fern Gagne. Our third inductee this evening, and you've never seen his face, he is Mr. Wrestling number two. Mr. Wrestling number two's career spanned 34 years of active competition beginning in 1956. He has held the North American title, the Georgia Heavyweight Championship, and many other regional titles. But interestingly, in 1976, 
He was invited to Columbus, Georgia, to Plains, Georgia, actually, to visit with the presidential candidate, Jimmy Carter, his wife, and Jimmy Carter's mother, Miss Lillian. Four weeks later, when Jimmy Carter was elected as President of the United States, Miss Lillian got a hold of Mr. Wrestling II and invited him to the inauguration. He accepted. But then when the Secret Service came along and said that uh, he could not go there with his mask, he politely declined the invitation. That's how much that mask has meant to him over the years of professional wrestling. I might also point out this man was the only wrestler to ever win the Champion of Champions Award voted by the fans throughout the United States. Wrestling 2, congratulations. Thank you very much. Lastly, as I mentioned at the very onset, there is one who is no longer with us that certainly is going into the Hall of Fame tonight. He will be represented here by his son. The man we're talking about is Eddie Graham. Mike Graham will accept the plaque. Eddie, of course, had held the North American Heavyweight Championship for many times. When he finally settled in Tampa, Florida, he developed a philosophy of giving back to the community. He was a firm believer in amateur wrestling. He instituted an amateur wrestling school at the Sportatorium in Tampa, along with Coach John Heath and Cowboy Luttrell. He also even privately subsidized a wrestling coach for Robinson High School, and finally the entire high school system put in wrestling as a major sport. He was also the gentleman who was active in all civic affairs, big brothers, big sisters, Red Cross, American Cancer Society. And then he and Sheriff Ed Blackburn, along with Cowboy Luttrell, spearheaded the drive to develop the Florida Sheriff Youth Ranches, one of the most successful youth ranches in the entire United States, modeled after Cal Farley's Youth Ranch in Texas. It's really with great pride and regret that he's not here with us tonight. We present his son, Mike Graham, with this plaque. How about it? Four great legends, the first four ever to go into the WCW Hall of Fame. And now let's turn it over to Missy Hyatt. Thanks, Gordon. And I'm here with Mr. Hawaii, Lord James Blears, and someone who I think is just, he's a legend. Mr. John Tolis, I mean, Mr. West Coast. And you know, as a matter of fact, I saw you last night at Slam Fest. And I know what a party's all about, and you sure look like you were having a good time. I'll tell you, Miss Missy, I had a great time last night seeing my old buddies at the old place, and I really enjoyed it. And today I'm even having a better time with the, all my old buddies and the Hall of Famers. It's just great to be here. You know, due to all respect to other sports, you got to say that professional wrestling today is the greatest sport in the world. Especially WCW is the only way to spell wrestling. And how about you? Are you having a great time tonight? I'm having a wonderful time. And uh, John said it all when he told you that wrestling is the number one sport in the world. I would like to say aloha to all the people in Hawaii and all the people that do receive this signal from the WCW. And I have a present for you. Ooh, really? Yes, what is an this? English monocle. 
And if, I, if you could wear this for us, we'd be, be very, very happy. Well, tally-ho, let's go back down to the ring. You look lovely, very lovely. Right, folks, this is what happens when somebody spits their dummy out for having to lose. You get nails. Sting takes on the prisoner. This match was originally supposed to be Sting versus Scott Norton, but Norton backed out of the show. Capetta announces that this is a bounty match, but he never explains what that actually means. The commentators say that someone had apparently put a bounty on Sting's head, but this isn't explained any further. The prisoner enters in the same outfit from the WWF. He even has the big boss man's nightstick, which causes a boss man chant. Sting orders the ref to make the prisoner drop the stick. So surprise surprise, the prisoner immediately starts choking Sting, bringing his WWF moveset glory days to the forefront. Sting flails around like an idiot and only breaks the choke before the five count before doing it again. He then mixes it up a little with a backbreaker, but he misses a corner charge. However, he throws Sting to the floor and... chokes him. This time, he at least uses a cable. Nick Patrick sees this and gives the prisoner a five count to stop instead of disqualifying, even when he uses the cord to hang Sting. They head back inside and continue fighting until Sting hits a sort of crossbody and a backdrop. He also hits a Stinger splash, but he has to push the prisoner to the mat for a pin attempt. Then Sting misses an elbow, but the prisoner makes the mistake of arguing with the ref. Sting uses this opening to hit a flying clothesline for the win in 5 minutes and 16 seconds. Shite. This will be Nils's only WCW appearance because he's shite. All right, thanks a lot, Tony Schiavone. And here's a guy that I grew up watching on television. He rolled out the barrel a whole lot of times. He's the one, he's the only, he's the crusher. How about that? Still got the 100 megaton and biceps right here. And I don't know how many bums I've thrown out of saloons in my life with the bruiser. And here's one bum I might have missed. But I want to say one thing right now. I got eight great fans right up there in the Midwest there, in Cunningham, Wisconsin. Matthew, Tamara, Jacob, and Shireen, and then there's Daniel and Christopher, and Lisa in Largo, Florida, Lisa and Ryan. These are my grandchildren, and they like to see me get in the ring with this bum in a cage where I was never defeated. I was in more cage matches than any wrestler, and I like to throw that cue ball head right through that screen, right through that fence, like a throw of tomatoes through a screen door. You know, and we're gonna talk to Oxbaker about that uh, situation in just a few moments, but you were a, a world tag team champion in the AWA with Red Bastine, Dick the Bruiser, Baron Von Roschke, and you talked about all the matches. In fact, you've had more, cat, more matches inside of a steel cage than any man in the sport. That's right, and I'll tell you, most of the guys that I wrestled with in that cage were never around again, and now I've never wrestled again. And this big bum here, me and the Bruiser tried to get him to get a partner to get in that cage with me and Bruiser, and why he wouldn't sign, I can tell you, because he's a dumb ox. Well, let's find out about it. How about it, Ox Baker? You made the heart punch famous. You know, me and Peggy Ann were getting married, and Crusher and Bruiser wanted us to get inside of the cage. Well, I want to tell you right here and now, Bruisers, there's some way you can make it back. I'd love to get in that cage because something I did for 30 years that nobody in wrestling ever did. 
when I knocked somebody down, when they was on their knees, like a gentleman, I would kick them right in the face, because like I said to my boy Gary, I love to hurt people. And I have done it. It's better, you know, Crusher. You know, you're better looking than I am. I just noticed that. But that doesn't make any difference to me. Atlanta, I wish I could wrestle again. But I want to say hello to my Atlanta friends, to the legends of wrestling, to my announcer, to everybody out there. I love it. I, I'm here right now. Look, we got to get to the ring, and I got to get out of here. Right here. Take it, Tony. Ciao. We next get our first potential show stealer for the evening as WCW NWA Unified Tag Team Champions, the Hollywood Blondes, face fresh challengers in Dos Hombres. Or do they? The Blondes had beaten Steamboat and Douglas to become tag champions, and then declared that Steamboat and Douglas wouldn't receive any rematches. However, a mysterious masked team called Dos Hombres appeared on WCW Saturday night and got a surprise non-title victory over the Blondes. It was obvious that it was Steamboat and Douglas under masks, so a cage match was booked to settle the score. However, there's one big problem. Shane Douglas has left WCW over a contract dispute, so Tom Zenk would take his place in the match, which works because the mask hides his identity. However, it doesn't work because one half of WCW's sexiest tag team is blatantly skinnier than Shane Douglas. The commentators would imply that it is Douglas, but Shane is nowhere near this show, or the building. Capetta still introduces them as Steamboat and Douglas, but even he sounds unsure. Steamboat grabs a mic and says that the outfits are good luck charms, so they'll wear them again. Before the match begins, they show two mysterious men in the audience watching and talking, with Tony and Larry speculating that they might be Hollywood agents. Austin starts the match and it quickly becomes clear that he's in there with Steamboat. Ricky catches both men with chops and arm drags before tagging Douglas. The two men trade off attempts to ram each other into the cage until Douglas succeeds. Steamboat then returns and gives Austin a dangerous looking backdrop that nearly lands Steve on his head. Ricky also tosses Austin into the cage but Steve responds with an eye poke. Pillman enters the match and continues the eye-based offensive manoeuvres, but he falls victim to double-teaming by Dos Hombres. Steamboat also press-slams Brian into the cage, but Pillman pulls him into Austin's boot. Austin returns, but he sells his back, and Steamboat ends up hooking Steve into a tree of woe from the top of the cage. He then splashes Steve and tags Douglas, but he misses a second splash. Pillman returns and the Blondes double-team, Douglas and choke him with the tag rope. However, he raises a boot when Pillman does a jumping nothing. Brian manages to tag Austin, but Dos Hombres pinball Steve around with punches until Austin hits a spine buster. The blondes then attempt a rocket launcher, but Douglas raises his knees and tags Steamboat. He cleans house, gives Austin an electric chair drop, and crotches Pillman on the ropes. Then all four men brawl and Dos Hombres get the advantage. Steamboat then climbs to the top of the cage, removes his mask and hits a flying crossbody into both blondes. He gets a two count but the timekeeper mistakenly rings the bell. All four men brawl again 
and Dos Hombres look to have control, but Austin surprises Douglas with a stun gun. He makes the cover while Pillman stops Steamboat with a DDT, and the Blondes get the win in 16 minutes and 8 seconds. And one last time for my lovely meat ciders out there. Douglas. This was a fun cage match with a hot finish, despite the ridiculously errant bell. The Blondes were a great team, so it's good to see them get the win. Plus, it makes no sense for Dos Hombres to go over since Douglas is gone. However, they did do a good job of making both teams look strong. WCW does look a bit dishonest by trying to convince everyone that Douglas was under the mask, but I guess this is the best that they could do in this situation. Tremendous matchup inside of a steel cage, and I am surrounded here by some great legends. Stu Hart from Canada, wrestling too, and of course, the natural Dusty Rhodes. What do you think about this last match, Dusty? Well, you know, there's a, a tremendous night of wrestling that happened here in the Omni tonight pay-per-view throughout the world, Slammery 93, to be standing out here with Mr. Stu Hart. And congratulations to wrestling number two on obtaining this Hall of Fame goal that means so much to every wrestler around the world. But I got one thing to say that just a little bit earlier, I'm talking about just a little bit earlier tonight, the Dirty Old Assassin came out here and he said, Dusty Rhodes, if you're anywhere in the building, I want some of you. Well, if you want some of me, my big ass is standing out here. So come and get it, baby. He is natural, the American dream. Dusty Rhodes wrestling too, inducted into the very first Hall of Fame. What's going through your mind? Well, right now, what's going through my mind is what I just heard. Whoever this other gentleman is, he can well believe what this man said. He's ready. He's ready for him and for whatever he's got to take with him right along. But you know, as far as the uh, WCW is concerned, I would like personally to congratulate them and thank them very much for making this uh, very honor uh, that I had received this evening uh, and for making it uh, possible for all the other fellows that was with me because, you know, we, we all contribute an awful lot to our lives. And, you know, it, this is, you might say, the big payoff. And th there's nothing that could capture this any bigger than what it is. And we certainly appreciate having you here. Thank you very much. Stu Hart, a wrestling legacy in Canada. I mean, I mean, wrestling is in your family, isn't it? Yes, it is. I have eight sons, and they're all, all wrestlers. I have four daughters, and they're all married to wrestlers. The youngest mar married to Davy Boy Smith, and the oldest to Neidhart. Uh, and then I have another daughter married to uh, BJ that has a big gymnasium in uh, Calgary. Well, let's talk about Davey Boy Smith, your son-in-law tonight. He steps into the ring with Big Van Vader, the world heavyweight title on the line. Uh, it's, 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 to say it's important is an understatement. Yes, it is. I'm hoping him all the luck in the world. And Davey, I figure, is one of the finest wrestlers in the world today and uh, one of the strongest and best-built men in the business and a very dedicated uh, rest, professional wrestler. And I'm hoping that uh, with his technique and strength, He'll overpower the powerful big uh, Van Vader, and uh, God bless him, I hope that my son-in-law becomes the next world champion. We'll find out later on tonight. All right, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, wrestling to Stu Hart. It is time for the NWA title matchup. We next get the first of two world title main events, as the Enforcer looks to become a new force 
as Arn Anderson sets out to take the NWA World Heavyweight Championship from Big Bad Barry Windham. Arn quickly surprises Barry with a shoulder block, belly-to-belly -belly suplex and a backdrop for a few two counts. He taunts Windham by saying that he almost had him, but Barry slaps him. Then Arn fakes out Windham on a punch and hits a DDT, but he still only gets a two. Barry then regroups and pulls Arn to the ramp, but Arn reverses Barry into the turnbuckles. Anderson attempts to capitalise with a flying axe handle, but Barry punches him and hits his own DDT. He follows that up by throwing Arn outside again. However, Arn slingshots him to the floor and rams him into the guardrail. Barry comes up bleeding, so Arn attacks the cut for a while. Anderson even goes to the top, but Barry drop kicks him off the turnbuckles and suplexes him on the outside. They return to the ring, and Barry hits another suplex, but Arn surprises him with a spine buster. Barry avoids the pin by rolling outside and then collects his belt. He tries to leave the match, but Arn grabs him and sends him into the ring. The ref keeps watching Arn for attacking the cut, so Arn shoves him to the mat and instantly regrets it. Windham, on the other hand, uses the opening to nail Arn with the belt, and the referee recovers to make a three count in 10 minutes and 55 seconds. So purely by watching WCW on Saturday night alone, this company is clearly building Flair Windham, but Rick is still working out his 90-day no-complete clause. It makes sense to give Arn a title shot, therefore. But he's deserved one for a while, and it helps to build this storyline for Flair. It wasn't a long match, but they really packed some really good storytelling into this. Arn is so good at the small details in matches. The blood also added some intensity, and this is a prime example of how to do a shorter title match while still making it feel big. Now, while it was obvious that Arn wasn't going to win the title, they did a really good job of making him look strong in defeat. Plus, were building heel heat for Wyndham. But this was an excellent turnout for Look at the Adjective Pods 1996 Man of the Year. Larry and Tony then recap the night and talk about the main event. Tony mentions that Vader attacked Bulldog during a public workout, but they don't show any footage. I kept waiting for that clip, but it never happened. I'm assuming that Tony was actually talking about a reversal where the Bulldog had attacked Vader in the public workout that we talked about yesterday. So while this match hasn't had the build that it deserves, two Mastodons are heading into battle, as WCW World Heavyweight Champion Big Van Vader puts his belt on the line against WCW's latest limey superstar, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Tony says that Bulldog is dedicating this match to all the people that Vader has hurt. He even mentions a jobber named Joe Thurman who was legitimately injured during a match. Davy shows off his power by absorbing both a clothesline and an avalanche attack from Vader. So Vader responds by clubbing the hell out of him. He also distracts the ref so that Race can attack Bulldog. Then everybody ends up fighting on the floor and Vader goes for another avalanche attack. But Davy moves, and Vader crashes over the guardrail. Davy then impressively slams Vader over it and takes him inside for an equally impressive delayed suplex. Vader surprises Davy with a boot, but Bulldog catches him in a power slam and clotheslines Vader out of the ring. He returns and Davy attempts a crucifix, but Vader turns it into a Samoan drop. He follows this up with some elbow drops that are quite close to Davy's crotch before hitting a Vader bomb, but he only gets a two. 
Vader then continues the attack with a slam and flying avalanche, but Davy blocks a superplex. Then Bulldog hits a flying headbutt, but knocks himself loopy. Vader pounces on the wounded Bulldog, and Davy tries to fight back with a modified atomic drop and sunset flip, but it isn't enough. Vader hits a flying splash, but he hurts himself. He regroups outside, so Race attacks Davy to buy him some time. Bulldog fights back until Vader sits on him, but Davy answers by powering Vader into an electric chair drop. He also catches Vader and hits a variation of the running power slam, but Race pulls Davy out of the ring. Vader then nails him with a chair, so the ref calls for the bell in 16 minutes and 16 seconds. This was a really enjoyable power match until that finish. WCW were telling a really good story in the long run, and these guys were adding to it, with everything being structured perfectly for two guys this size. However, that finish deflated an otherwise good bout. I'm getting the impression that this feud will continue, but I wanted to see something more definitive. With that said, what we got did a good job of making both men look strong. After the match, Vader continues the attack until Marcus Bagwell tries to make the save. Vader attacks him, so Two Cold Scorpio also attempts to help. Vader thwarts him as well, but then Sting arrives. He hits Vader with a flying axe handle and some punches, so Vader retreats. The fans cheer as Davey celebrates with his new best friend, the man called Sting. Alright, Tony, tremendous matchup, the world heavyweight title on the line. Big Van Vader, Davey Boy Smith joining me now. Magnum, T.A., Magnum, sum it up, man. What did you think of that match? What an exciting evening. When you put the most coveted prize in the sport on the line, the world's heavyweight title, it brings everybody up to a new level of performance. Big Van Vader did everything it took and more to hold on to that title. He didn't care what anybody thought about it, obviously. But there's going to be a whole lot more to be settled between these two big men because I can see they're going to be destined to be battling a long time over the world's title. Uh, and we've been talking about now for weeks the intensity in Davy Boy Smith's eyes, and we certainly saw that intensity here tonight, and he proved that he is one man that can take it to that 450-pound world heavyweight champ. Man, what a match. You know, Vader's calling himself the bull of the woods, and rightfully so. When you're 400-plus pounds, when you're wearing the strap around your waist that says you're the best in the world, then you can take names all you want. He can walk the walk, talk the talk, and do whatever he wants inside the ring. But as long as men like Sting and Davey Boy Smith are going to stand up and meet and give him the challenge that he wants, then that is going to keep everybody searching for the top of the sport. Well, Magnum, it was great to have you here with us, and uh, let's get back to Tony and Larry. Okay, Eric, thank you very much, and what a night it has been here in Atlanta at Slamboree. We are joined by Vern Gagne, who was tonight inducted into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations for that. It's great to be standing beside you. It's been a great night. Great to have you part of Slamboree. Well, I tell you, this has uh, been something. It's been a real eye-opener. I think you have to say this, after watching this tonight, I think all the people at home watching this will agree with me, that the WCW has captured the real wrestling talent of the world. Uh, I saw so much talent here tonight that, uh, that I'm actually uh, not only excited, but I'm, I'm really shocked. I didn't realize that they had this good, that the athletes here in the WCW, I don't know why I didn't before, but certainly tonight proved that the king of wrestling here in the world is right here at the WCW. 
Larry's been a great night. Thanks for your help, man. Of course it has, and I'll say it one more time. Time fears only the pyramids and the legends of professional wrestling. Good night from Atlanta. Well, it's a pay-per-view, so we need to head to the aftermath. Ray Keith, do your worst. The first edition of Slamboree was notable for a few reasons, if not necessarily for match quality. The event saw Sid Vicious returning to WCW after time spent in the WWF, along with several wrestling legends including Baron Von Raschke and Nick Bockwinkel participating in a special ceremony honouring them, and even some matches to honour them further. The card itself is topped off by a disqualification victory for Davy Boy Smith over WCW Champion Vader, ultimately representing its status of not being exactly must-see. Now WCW would do much worse, but that doesn't make this event all that worth it outside of seeing the legends. This was also the final appearance of the NWA World Tag Team Championships on a WCW pay-per-view, as WCW would withdraw from the NWA in September of 1993, meaning that the titles would no longer be defended together. The National Wrestling Alliance would not fill the vacancy for nearly two years, finally having a tournament in July of 1995, which was won by the Rock and Roll Express. Talking of the tag team titles, the cage match tag was noteworthy for the absence of Shane Douglas. Now depending on who you believe, Douglas was either fired or quit his position and would find himself in Paul Heyman's nascent Extreme Championship Wrestling promotion on October 24, 1993 as a cocky heel, quickly ascending to the top of promotion by September, where he became the ECW champion. Watch this space for regular updates on Shane's time in the company. So how does Eric Bischoff's big answer to honouring the legends fare? Well, you can't say that an effort wasn't made to showcase them, as not only were we treated to three legends matches, but the event was peppered with appearances throughout the show, as well as the inaugural Hall of Fame ceremony. And it's certainly a decent touch for WCW to honour their history, and wrestling's history as a whole. Nostalgia definitely pays, and it would be interesting to see just how many of the crowd in attendance were there to actually see the legends rolled out for their enjoyment. Of the matches put on, the six-man tag was far and away the best match of the three, as all six men still displayed a modicum of the skill and bumping ability that made them legends in the first place. Especially in the case of Snooker and Morocco, who were actually plying their trade in ECW at the time, and Jim Brunzel, who had just come off a WWF talent contract as a jobber to the stars. The other two matches, however, can only be described as unnecessary. The other tag match neither showcased good ability or effort, even from Brad Armstrong, who found himself dragged down to his peers' level, and Dawn Funk vs Nick Bockwinkle was painfully dull. One match would have done nicely, and the remaining performers could have had a segment, just like everybody else. And what of the current generation of performers? First of all, I really feel for Sting right now. I'm not saying that he had to be in a world title programme or anything like that, 
But to have the prospect of taking on a man built as WCW's latest killer in Scott Norton, only to find that you're facing a one-move nobody signed in a panic with a history of assaulting the competition's boss only serves as a head-scratcher. The following men were available to step in who could have had an infinitely better match. Max Payne, Vinny Vegas, either of Tex Lazinger or Shanghai Pierce. Now that's to name four. But all four of these men could have been inserted at the last minute. Furthermore, Scott Norton shows really poor form if the rumours that he refused to put Sting over were true. It hardly needed to be a squash match, and Sting would have sold like a boss for him. Instead, Eric Bischoff starts his reputation as being ATM Eric early by signing a performer on the quick to a contract only to never use him again. So from a show point of view, a 10 match card produced 3 out and out watchable matches in both world title bouts and the tag title cage match. It's not that the tag opener is particularly bad, or even the tag programme involving the two singles champions versus the contenders, it's just that they were very standard and everything else ranges from spectacle, Sid versus Hammer or the six man tag, to the unnecessary, the remaining legends matches and Sting versus the prisoner. The flair for the gold segment also comes off as a massive damp squid for not delivering what was promised. It's easy to say this now, but could Blanchard not have been offered a slightly better sum for a one-off appearance where he endorses Roma? That would have been better than what we got if WCW wanted to insert Roma as a horseman straight away. Instead, we get a segment that only I seem to have enjoyed. So in closing, I opened this show by calling Slamboree 1993 an underrated event, and I do stand by that. WCW were trying something different here, and I like homages to the past. However, Underrated doesn't mean consistently excellent. Viewers could come in from the tag title match and have not missed a single thing. And although a lot of the legend stuff seems to kill the crowd for those last three matches, as a standalone show there is enough here to keep viewers entertained as a change from the modern product. Star of the night for me alone goes to Arn Anderson. It was about time that he got a chance to win a big belt. So he put his all in to make this match with Barry the best of the two world title matches. Therefore, match of the night goes to Barry Windham versus Arn Anderson. These are two men that I am particularly massive fans of, and both men brought their best in spite of a muted crowd while also making the most of a shorter time limit. The highlight of the night was seeing another favourite of mine, Sid Vicious, make his acceptable in the 90s debut. Hopefully, he'll get better opponents than Van Hammer going forward. And the lowlight of the night is sadly seeing poor Sting getting what he's given. There were better opponents than the prisoner for him to face, and it's sad that he could only make lemons out of lemons here. Well fam, I am literally all wrestled out. So I'm taking some time away. From grappling at least. Next week will be the next of the off-topic episodes that you've come to love. As I take a look at one of my other loves, comedy. The first spotlight will be a look at the Steve Coogan classic, 
Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge. Why not share your thoughts on this comedy classic over at One Man's Meat Pod on Twitter? However, in the meantime and in between time, stay beefy. Meat Ciders!